Looks like I'm back. This is Death Tracks. We're having little audio problems here with Leilani. Uh, I'll introduce her um, so we know who we're going to try to get on the air today. Um, Leilani Maxera, I believe, is how you say her name. Leilani's a death educator and home funeral advocate who lives in Honolulu, Hawaii. She's the founder and facilitator of Death Cafe Honolulu, and she manages the statewide syringe exchange and overdose prevention programs for Hawaii Health and Harm Reduction Center. Um, wow, what a, what, a, what, a, what a great thing to do. Uh, but we still can't seem to get any audio from... Uh, let's see if there's anything I need to do on my thing. In fact, what I'll do, I'll play a song while I'm, uh, I'm trying to work this out with... Uh, actually, I think I want to try something else. Hold on a minute. Um, Leilani, can I hear you speak now? Can you hear me? Because it says... I'm oh, I can, I can hear you now. I can hear you now. And it says... And it just popped up saying unmuted by... Uh, <laughs> I can hear you now. I can hear you now. Welcome to the show. Um, Sorry, that took a minute. That took a minute, but uh, perfect timing. Uh, so I'll just introduce that we're back here on Death Tracks. I'm Bodie B. Um, it's Tuesday, February the 11th. Uh, if you wanted to call in and ask Leilani or myself a question, you could. Uh, I'll say again that Leilani is a uh, facilitator, uh, host of the Death Cafe in Honolulu, and she manages the statewide syringe exchange and overdose prevention programs for Hawaii Health and Harm Reduction Centers. What a, what an important thing you do, Miss Leilani, and I'm so happy to have you on the show and meet you because uh, I run into Joe Thompson here on Maui at the coffee shop, and if he's not your average Joe, uh, there is no average Joe. Uh, and I was so moved by, um, the uh, again, the work you and he do, and he drives around in a van and he uh, meets people, and he's a very low-key um and what a what a, what a powerful and important role he plays in our community, as you do in Honolulu. So I'd love to first of all thank you so much for coming on the show. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Can you make your speaker a little bit louder? See if you can. I think it's I think it's up all the way, but I can talk a little louder if need. Uh, I talk. I, I made it a little louder on this end, and yeah, if you're a little closer, that's good too. So why don't you tell us a little bit about, because I think the, uh, the needle exchange thing is such an essential, uh, critical, and valuable uh, part of this community that we come out of denial that it's not happening and that these aren't just uh, people we should shun away from and, uh, and pray for, but actually uh, they're just they're like us in so many ways and, and, and need to be valued. Um, go ahead. Tell, tell me your take on this. Uh, again, thank you so much. Okay, well, let me give a little background Great. real quick about the agency I, I work for. So, um, so it's the difference between my paid work and my volunteer work. So my paid work is running the statewide uh, overdose prevention and syringe exchange program at Hawaii Health and Harm Reduction Center. And Hawaii Health and Harm Reduction Center, our office is actually on Oahu. As you mentioned, I'm in Honolulu. And we, but the, the program I run is statewide. So... Uh-oh, you froze. Uh, I'm not sure why, but uh, but you froze. Uh, I don't know why you froze, but are you there? We are 
there. We are there. But, um, you there? No. No. I'll try something else. Let's try something else. Uh, hang with us, please. Um, stay in, um, now we lost, uh, okay, I'll play something until we get her back. I'm Bodie B. This is Death Tracks. Thanks for hanging in there with us. Even, even Wi-Fi connections can die. Bodie B, this is Death Tracks, KAKU 88.5 FM, streaming at KAKU.org, on Facebook Live at KAKU 88.5 FM.
sponsoring. Okay. Are you there now? But yeah, hold, hold on one sec. Hold on. Sorry, our internet is so bad here. I couldn't even turn the the conference thing off. It was freezing. <laughs> I apologize for that. <laughs> turn me on. I'm back with Leilani Maxera. Uh, but go ahead. You were starting to tell us uh, what you. T- go, let's come back to the beginning and uh, tell us who you are and what you're up to. Okay. Yeah. Sorry about that. Our internet is so bad here. Um, basically, uh, so basically, um, as I mentioned, I have you know my volunteer work is doing um, death work, uh, home funeral education, and um, facilitating Death Cafe Honolulu here. Uh, but my paid job, day job, is working for Hawaii Health and Harm Reduction Center. We are uh, the program I run is the statewide syringe exchange and overdose prevention uh, program, and that is very different from the rest of the agency because my program is statewide, where the rest of the agency is just um, on Oahu uh, mostly. Although we do some sort, uh, we do trainings as well for other islands, but our services here is uh, basically we're here to serve the most marginalized people in Hawaii. So. On Oahu, we have HIV testing, Hep C testing, case management. We have a transgender services program. Um, we work with people who are homeless to get housed. We have so many programs. But the one I particularly run, we do have staff on Maui. And we have outreach worker named Joe, who you mentioned at the beginning, who actually does syringe exchange and overdose prevention island-wide. And he teaches people how to respond to drug overdoses and save their lives. Um, by and gives people naloxone, with which is an um, a medication that reverses opiate overdoses. Beautiful, beautiful. I think that's just. Uh, I, I was so moved and had so much respect in talking to Joe about um, his approach, to just just as your approach to. Uh, this marginalized population that we tend to uh, oftentimes kind of not want to see and certainly uh, turn them into a them. Um, And Mm -hmm. so... uh, Yeah, Yeah, a lot of the work we do, it's not just social services we work in. We really do a lot of education around stigma and drug use because the reality is um, people using drugs is all of us. People who use drugs are our loved ones, ourselves, you know, your mom, your next-door neighbor, and people should be treated, you know, with the respect and autonomy that anybody else should and, and make decisions for themselves about treatment and make decisions for themselves about when they're ready. Because, you know, one of the things that people say to us is, oh, well, don't, you know, shouldn't you be focusing on, on getting people treatment for their drug use? When in reality is if people aren't ready to quit, just like anything else, um, you know, if you think of something in your life, that you probably should change a habit. We all have a habit we need to change. If someone told you right now, right now you have to quit, you wouldn't be able to. And it's the same thing with drug use. So we meet people where they're at and we use the harm, a harm reduction approach to give them what they need now until they're ready for change. Good, go on. I, I, I keep, talk, keep talking about this. I'd like to stay on this subject a little bit. Uh, some of your experiences okay. with these people as, as real people, as us rather mm-hmm. than the, uh, them. Oh, yeah, sure. Well, I've been working in harm reduction um, on and off for 
About 12, uh, 13 years now, almost. Uh, I used to actually live in San Francisco and Sacramento, California for a while as well, working at syringe exchanges there. Um, and then uh, I'm Native Hawaiian, and I grew up, I was part of the diaspora. I came home. I came back to Hawaii and um, started working at our syringe exchange here. And we actually have the oldest statewide syringe exchange in the country. We just celebrated 30 years, actually, this last year. 30 years of syringe exchange in Hawaii. These really smart people got together 30 years ago, saw what was happening in other um, major cities, other places around the um, AIDS epidemic, and was like, we really need to take care of people who use drugs so and give them what they need so that they don't share syringes. And that will um, help stop the spread of HIV here in the islands. And it, and it was um, very intelligent, very progressive, radical move at the time. But now, um, after all this time, syringe exchange has been proven. Um, over 300 studies have proven that it lessens um, the spread of HIV. And also, um, you know, it's, it's just good public health and it's good for people to be treated with the respect that they deserve. So syringe exchange works. And we, you know, meet, I've met so many wonderful people through this work. I always say the people we serve are the smartest people I know pretty much. Um, they can, you know, they're survivors. They know exactly what they need and want. And we just have to meet them where they're at to help, you know, provide that. So tell me, uh, tell us a little bit about what you've seen in 30 years. I mean, I'm guessing you've seen uh, death, but you've also seen well, some great, great stories, great turnaround stories. Yeah. Well, here in Hawaii, um, we've, you know, it was a slow start. In fact, we just started on Oahu. It took a couple of years for us to get syringe exchange started on Maui, where you are. And Joe, um, who we mentioned earlier, he's worked for us for, I think, 27 years, 28 years. He was our first outreach worker on Maui. And so, you know, we've we've met a lot of people over the years, and and our numbers have gone up. I'll say that last year uh, we actually exchanged over a million syringes in the state of Hawaii. Like I mentioned, we're statewide. So we're on Big Island, Maui, Kauai, and Oahu. And so um, Maui, you know, Joe is part-time for the entire island. Um, we're open Monday through Friday, and he makes appointments where and meets people where they're at. And I can, I can speak to the love and care that he provides the folks he serves. Because I do, I do site visits um, as his supervisor. It's kind of hard to know what's going on with you when you don't come to the other islands. Mm-hmm. And I've, you know... You know, met with our participants there, and you know they just really show appreciation for, um, you know, showing them respect, showing them love. Uh, you know, when a lot of people really discriminate against people who use drugs, mm-hmm. and we have a lot of negative stories of people going to hospitals and being seen as drug seeking or been kicked out of social service agencies for coming in high. Well, if you want to meet people where they're at and serve people. Uh, low threshold. If if I didn't see people who were high, I I wouldn't. I'd be sitting by myself. <laughs> you know, uh-huh. we gotta. Uh-huh. If you're there to truly serve people, you're gonna see them how they are. And um and yeah, we've. Uh, I just I love our folks over on Maui, especially um because they're just so uh, vocal about what they need, their the services they need, and um, 
and how you know Joe is just very uh, authentic and loving and and good with the folks that he serves. It's I'm very proud of his work over there. I I was I was very impressed in in meeting Joe and not uh, we're in the coffee shop and I don't know anything about anything and he, and uh, he doesn't know me and we somehow strike up a conversation and then I hear uh, the work that he's doing and uh, I'm just so moved by people who work in 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 that kind of let's say uh, regulated system to uh, to bring to bring compassion and empathy and connection to again uh, people really on the fringe in many ways and certainly uh, stigmatized in many ways and oftentimes drug users are homeless people which uh, maybe is a double stigma uh, in this mm-hmm. culture at oh, this time. Oh it certainly is. We've seen so much discrimination in against people who are houseless and and people who use drugs and it, it is a double whammy and it's also if you add on other things like people who are lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, who are homeless um, face even more stuff. People who are Native Hawaiian who are homeless, like there's layers to this. Right, they're not um, clean. For example, communities are not being treated um, with the culturally competent care that they deserve. Culturally competent care, right on. Well, that's the first time I'd heard you. I you said something about the diaspora, um, and mm-hmm. I never I never actually considered the the Hawaiian di- diaspora in terms of how many uh, how many people uh, left or had to leave and are returning. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like yes, for us, a lot of us, the islands call us home at some point. I was born and raised in California, um, but my mother is Native Hawaiian, and she was born on Oahu. And her uh, father um, got a job in San Francisco, and they left Hawaii. And they always, you know, he always meant to come back, but he actually died um, very young and was unable to. And since my grandmother was not Hawaiian and not from here, it was easier for her to stay in California. Like, she had lived there more of her life. And, um, you know, growing up, I always knew I wanted to come home. Hawaii called to me. I visited a lot. And as soon as I had enough money and and I knew it was time, I came back. Yeah, beautiful. And and even myself, as a um, kind of poi dog white person uh, from Eastern Europe, uh, didn't realize it until I got here 44 years ago that um, that I too was being called home to um, the, this the land of Aloha. So. I, I relate to what you're saying, not quite the way you do as a as a Hawaiian, you know, person. <laughs> yeah, um, it's, def- it's definitely a little different, but I, I hear yeah. what the sentiment. I think I'm Hawaiian uh, and Native American and black underneath this white skin. That's how I feel anyway. Um, that the white skin is just somehow, uh, since I didn't choose it, as far as I know, uh, just kind of a cover-up for the uh, indigenous being that lives in here that... It feels very much connected to uh, the indigenous peoples of these islands. Um, mm. Yeah. Well, there's definitely a difference between feeling connected and in solidarity with folks, and and uh, and still being proud of who you are and where you come from, but also being in solidarity with indigenous people. Well, and maybe, and maybe, uh, maybe I'm in another category that some of us identify with. That we are, in fact, indigenous people that just have been away from home for a long time and forgot about our indigenousness because of 
um, because of the, the nature of being a white person in the world at this time. But um, but so I but I appreciate what you said very much. So let's see how. Uh, well, what about? Can you give me a personal story or two about uh, driving up in your van for a needle exchange that you've been at for so long? I'm, oh, you, yeah, I'm sure I you mean, get to know these people. Yeah, we just, um, well, you know, there's folks we've been through with the good times and bad times. You know, uh, we've got, like, we've seen people who've been homeless for, you know, 15, 20, 30 years get housed. Um, one of the things about our our agency, because we openly serve people who use drugs and are very vocal about being anti-stigma, um with with these uh this population a lot more folks will trust us when they've uh have distrust for other organizations that are vo- very vocal about abstinence only services etc and so you know there's folks who perhaps you know maybe other housing organizations approached them at some point during their time on the street but there was never a connection or or never um trust built. And so now that we have actually started partnering, partnering with other agencies that do housing, um, we found that there are folks that um, through us are more likely to talk to these other agencies and people are getting housed who've been homeless for years just because we don't discriminate against them. And a lot of agencies, you know, are learning more and more about drug use and learning more and more to put harm reduction into their practices because they see that it works. They're learning that it works. And there's been a lot of change, I feel like, in Hawaii, even in the five and a half years that I've lived here, seeing other agencies kind of um, take to heart more you know, the harm reduction approach of working with folks. And I keep saying harm reduction, but for those folks who don't know what that means, harm reduction really is meeting people where they're at. And the very shortest um, way to explain it is any positive change. So folks who, um, you know, maybe yesterday they were pre-contemplative, they weren't thinking about their drug use, but today, you know, they're thinking, well, maybe, maybe I'll cut down a little bit tomorrow and see how I feel like that's any positive change. And you really want to celebrate that and um, walk with people on their journey um, and, and beside them while they figure out what works for them. Wow. Well, and you, and, and you, and, and you're, you're someone who recognizes that the, the essential piece is connection and people feeling trusted and res- or trustful and respected and and i and i'm guessing for just so many homeless people and uh people uh using needles uh, they're few and far between places where they feel respected and where they trust the agency or the people that are uh, t- attempting to help them so the, the oh. go ahead yeah and i and i don't mean to um you know, say, oh, we're the agency doing this work. We work in solidarity with a lot of other agencies. Um, You know, shout out to Maui AIDS Foundation on Maui, since that's where you're at. Um, They're absolutely fantastic agency. We partner a lot uh, to work with the folks that we serve. Uh, But it's been, it's been kind of a, a learning experience for sure. And I think, you know, one place where we're really trying hard to, to do this outreach work and, and talk about stigma is in healthcare systems because, you know, it's very easy to for someone to walk in a room and you have 
10, 15 minutes with them for a doctor to see them or they keep coming back to the emergency room, it's really easy to stop seeing the humanity in folks when under the current healthcare system we have, you just need to get people in and out. So you're going to assess them as quickly as possible. And it's really easy to lose the humanity when you're just looking at someone and be like, oh, they could be drug-seeking because I know they use drugs. Or, oh, they're homeless, they're back again, they just want to hang out in the emergency room. And we see a lot of jadedness among folks who work in healthcare in that way. And so I think it's been um, really great partnerships done uh, with us, like talking stories, being invited to do training for healthcare providers to kind of put that reminder back in folks um, who they're serving and to think about what they've been go- they're going through when they walk through that door. That's great. That's great. I so appreciate that. Thank you. And let's see how that segues into like how did you find your way into uh, the Death Cafe movement and and um, oh. and network. Well, it really it's interesting because the two my two main loves are harm reduction work and death work and they really do go together in a sense of they're two well for one what i found what i find constantly is there are two things that people don't want to talk about <laughs> <laughs> they're two that's for subjects sure. that that uh that make a lot of people uncomfortable so talking about drugs and talking about death i just if, i guess if you add sex into the mix it's the three topics nobody feels comfortable talking about <laughs> usually um money might be in there <laughs> and money yeah that's true it's true um, so for me, they, they both, I both, I found both these types of work at the, around the same time. Um, my, the quick of the thing that brought me to death work, which brought me to harm reduction is, um, my grandmother had a very bad death when I was in my early twenties. Um, she had cancer, she had dementia, and we were fully unprepared for being her caretakers for dealing with the hospital system, dealing, you know, I didn't know what palliative care was. I'd never heard of hospice mm-hmm. um, and, and her death did not go well. And so based on that experience, I started getting involved with learning about hospice, palliative care, advanced care planning. And I really wanted to be a nurse. I decided to go back to school to be a nurse because I'd actually dealt with so many nurses that I, you know, argued with, had such a hard time with, um, it's like, I want to serve people. I want to go back and do this um, better and help people die with dignity. And um, and so through that, I got involved with harm reduction work through actually doing HIV testing. And I didn't know about syringe exchange much. I'd heard of it, but not I, did, I didn't know how widespread it was, you know, exactly who they served, what it did. And so through um, an internship in San Francisco doing HIV testing, I started working in a syringe exchange. And it all just came together after that. I see the two as very intermingled. um, Absolutely. Because both of them, a lot of it is about autonomy and about choice. And it's two populations, um, people who are dying and people who use drugs are two populations that people really take their autonomy away. It's David Pac-Man. And they're two populations that deserve to keep that, you know, those decision-making powers and and do things on their own terms. And so to me, I see it very linked. And then, you know, it goes hand-in-hand with the people that I serve. We do have very high rates of death in the community that I serve, whether it's from um, overdose or from, you know, cancer, uh, you know, people that are 
you know, people living on the street, unfortunately, face a lot of health issues. Mm-hmm. And um, so, we, you know, we deal with death and dying every day at the agency I mm-hmm. work for as mm-hmm. well. So I feel like they're very interconnected. So you, so then uh, you initiated the Death Cafe in Honolulu. Mm-hmm. Is that right? I, I did. I, I did because I had attended one in California. And actually, it was Sonoma. And uh, I went to that, and it was, I thought it was fantastic. I'd heard about them. Why don't you say a little bit about uh, what that is? Why don't you say a little bit about what? Why don't you say a little bit about what that is? Because there's people that don't know, they haven't heard about Death Cafe. Death Cafe is basically what a Death Cafe is. It's a movement that started in England, um, I think around 2011, and basically it was to get people thinking more about death and dying and having open conversations about it. And so it spread. Um, all over the world. And so the rules of the Death Cafe are, it's very simple, very few rules. Basically, to start one, um, you, co- you co- to call it a Death Cafe, you have to put the location. So that's why I, here it's Death Cafe Honolulu. And then to use the Death Cafe name, you just can't charge. You can't charge for your services to come to the cafe. Um, it has to be free. Um, there's no selling of wares or services. So, for example, if I was a fu- like a funeral director and I came, um, I could give my card out if people asked for it, but I couldn't like try to do a sales pitch um, or if I worked at a hospice, etc. Um, it's not a grief support group either. It's it's more of a discussion group. So sometimes people will show up and they are feeling a lot of grief, and they may not have even realized it until they start talking. And so I always um, have have support materials for them, places they can go locally for an actual support group. Because um, surely the point of a death cafe is is to talk about death. There's no conclusion at the end. There's you no know, people come in not thinking we'll have all the answers when we leave. But it's an open space that a lot of people don't get. And because it started in England, you have to serve tea and cake. That also, at a death cafe, tea has to be there. So... But it's, I started it five years ago um, after the one I went to in California was fantastic. There, there were so many people there. We had great conversations. Um, you know, people talked about the things that they had been too afraid to talk to their own loved ones about. Mm-hmm. And so I just, it really moved me. And so when I moved to Hawaii and realized there wasn't an ongoing one in Honolulu, I um, looked into starting one. And so it's been about five years now. We've had seven I think 17 events. We're on our 17th. The um, the originator in England, I think John Underwood. I can't remember if that's his name. Actually called. Yeah, us, yes, John Underwood. Yes. Because he actually contacted us because we've had a group that went on that just uh, we just took a break uh, 11 years, first Monday of the month called Being with Dying, and he actually when he was starting Death Cafe movement had heard about us and wanted to know what what exactly we were doing. Um, I thought about changing the name to the Death Cafe <clears throat> simply because so many people had heard of it, uh, but mm-hmm. I didn't. I didn't really. Uh, I didn't really agree with all the guidelines and didn't want to serve tea and uh, desserts and uh, and also I found that there that 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 it, that it actually I thought worked best when it was it was guided in some ways. And, and Death Cafe really isn't supposed to have any kind of guidance. 
Um, but no, I, no. Well, it sounds like what you did was working for you, though. If you did it, it was for no. It was working great. Long. It was working yeah. great. But it wasn't. People, people would say, "Well, is is it a death cafe?" Because again, that's what people had heard of. But, but go ahead. Mm-hmm. Tell tell me about. I want to hear some of your experiences with the death cafe and uh, how how maybe it's affected people who've come to the death cafe, mm-hmm. and also too, mm-hmm. uh, maybe how it's affected you in some ways. Oh, yeah. It's um so like I said it's it's been about 5 years. Um we're having one um if anybody's on on Oahu's listening the next one's February 27th, uh Thursday February 27th from 6 to 8 p.m. and we have it at Temple Emanuel on the Pauley Highway and they host us at the library and we have had it there for about 2 years now. I believe we've had it several places. Um, I don't know if it's different on Maui, but on Oahu, one of the hardest things about having free events is finding a free space. And we definitely, you know, can't charge or don't and wouldn't even want to. So finding a free space, we kind of jumped around a bit for the first few years. And it's, it's been really nice that the temple has hosted us. It's been, they've been fantastic hosts. And so, you know, there was a time, especially because it was so hard to find a space and it just seemed like more trouble than it's worth that I had thought about stopping doing it. Um, there, you know, the least amount of people we've had at an event was about four people, five people. And I was like, is it worth it if nobody wants to come? But then doesn't matter how many people there, whether it's four or five or 20, um, every conversation has been so rich. And even though I, you know, we're about to have the 17th one, and I've also um, hosted lots of other events through my, you know, Death Cafe role, movie screenings, other types of discussion groups. Um, every conversation is different. And I think that's what keeps me going is that you think you've heard everything and then somebody shows up and says, you know what I'd really like to talk about tonight? Uh, you know, near-death experience or, uh, you know, how how it was for me when my wife died or, you know, whatever it is, it's no, it's no same conversation twice. And it's, I always learn something from everybody. And there's some people that come back. We have several people who've been to almost all of them uh, because the conversation is different every time and they just want to talk and see what happens. Um, some people come once. And that was enough for them just to pique their curiosity and, 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 and see what's going on. And then, you know, they learn about it and leave. We've had people come who've been on vacation in Honolulu that they, you know, they heard it was an event happening while they were in town and stopped by. So it's all types of folks who've come. But really, it's just every conversation is has been so good that I, I just keep doing it. Even though it takes a lot of my time it's, and it's all free and volunteer work, it's definitely worth it to me. First, first, say it again, where and when the next one in Honolulu is. So it's Thursday, February 27th at um, Temple Emanuel on Pauley Highway. And it's from 6 to 8 p.m. And Great. we have a Facebook page, Death Cafe Honolulu, that um, you can the the flyers on there for the next one, and it's um, you you can look there for updates. I also try to post it on Death Cafe's main um, website, where you can just go and look up your zip code and and look for the one nearest you. So, tell us tell us some of the things they talk about in Honolulu at the Death Cafe. I'm sorry, what did you say? 
Well, I'd like to hear more about uh, some specific things that are... Uh, could you elaborate on some of the conversations at the Death Cafe? Oh, yeah. I mean, we talked... I mean, every. I mean, almost everything, it feels like. Well, then, of course, you feel like you've heard everything, and then something new happens. Uh, we, we end up talking a lot about um, funerals. That it, That's a big deal here in Hawaii. As you, as you know, on Maui, we don't have... Um, we don't have all the space people want here uh, in terms of burial. Like my family's buried at Diamond Head. And is there any green uh, burial? Our plot is full. Is there any green burial happening on, on Oahu? Can you can you have a no, green burial? No, there's not. And actually, I was just recently interviewed um, for Think Tech Hawaii, and they asked me about green burial. And I mentioned you, and I mentioned um, the dust store and, and everything you're doing over there, because I know that you all have plans for like kind of more... Uh, bigger space there for green burial. We, we certainly do. We certainly. No, that's very true. We're we're, we're out to uh, create a beautiful natural burial ground. Uh, fortunately, there is a nonprofit cemetery on Maui that I work with. We work with that allows us to do most pretty green burials. But people have actually asked, called me from Honolulu and Oahu, asking me if there were any any possibility for green burial, and I didn't know of any, and wondered if you did. No. So as far as I know, um, there, there, you know, people talk about it. There's different um, cemeteries here who have said, "Oh, we'd like to add a green burial component." Um, I, as far as I know, and I hope if somebody hears this and I'm wrong, they'll contact me through Death Cafe Honolulu, <laughs> um, that there's no dedicated green burial cemetery here on Oahu, which is really a travesty, yeah. um, considering that everything that goes into a burial that's not a green burial, so the embalming fluid, the, the, the um, cement concrete for the burial um, vault, Whatever is in, you know, the caskets made from, unless you get something that's organically made, that's, uh, you know, wood or uh, mm -hmm. things that don't decompose, they just sit in the ground. Mm -hmm. It just go, everything goes back into the ground. And here in a place with finite resources, finite land, you know, we really need to rethink that so much. I wonder if any of those cemeteries, even though they don't have a designated green burial area, would allow you to do a green burial or would allow uh, somebody like me to do a green burial on Oahu because the cemetery I work with here, Makua Cemetery, doesn't have a designated green burial area but allows us to do green burials. Uh, fortunately, because there's two other funeral homes here on Maui and they're both owned, and maybe this is true on Oahu, the two funeral homes here are owned by uh, giant funeral home corporations uh, which have been buying up uh, Hawaii's funeral homes. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. and it's a mix here. A lot of a lot of places are owned by the larger companies, and there's a few local still. But um, our other issue here is just uh, embalming is so prevalent, anyways, because there's I, I I don't know how to put it. There's so many people dying on Oahu, um, and we don't have the funeral. And if people want a, tr a funeral at a funeral home and they want to work with a funeral director, sometimes they can't get a date for like a month out um, because they're the, they're packed. The funeral homes are already mm -hmm. booked. And so, you know, I, I try to bring that up when I talk to people about home funerals, which are safe and legal to have. 
um, and they're legal in every state in some capacity, that you don't ha- you don't have to have your funeral at a funeral home. You can legally take your loved one home and have a wake and have a viewing at home. We're trying to, we're trying to promote legal. that. Uh, I'm with you. We're trying to promote that more here on Maui. Uh, it's amazing how many people have no idea uh, that there is such mm-hmm. a thing, even though for uh, the history of humans, uh, home funeral has been the norm only until about 150 years ago. Um, mm-hmm. We just had a beautiful home funeral uh, actually, too, we had a home funeral for Ramdas um, that hundreds of people came to uh, view his body and pay respects and pray and sit in silence and sing. And also, a dear friend of ours, um, we just had a home funeral for, and uh, it's so it's so, it's so important, as you know, uh, for us to be more involved in this whole process and participate. Uh, in every in every level in in every part of it, and um, I just see how beautiful and deep it is for all of us to include that as part of community life and how how we meet that, how we share it, and show up for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, it is it is shocking how few people know that that's an mm-hmm. option. I um, that's why I'm a I'm a very active member of the National Home Funeral Alliance. And um, if you go to their website, I think it's homefuneralalliance.org. Uh, I know that you're listed on there. I've, yeah. I've seen mm-hmm. you on there before. You can actually look at what state you're in, what area you're in, and um, and contact local folks about how to have a home funeral. And it's just such a great resource for families because, you know, the point of our organization is to really assist families in doing this themselves because they all that everybody is capable of taking care of their loved ones we just are afraid because we've never done it before you know they don't exactly know what to do and, and the national home funeral alliance is really trying hard to get that information out there um, answer people's questions connect them locally so that people feel empowered to take care of their loved ones and have that time with them um, i recently wrote my uh, graduate thesis I uh, got a master's of social work uh, about a year ago now, and my master's thesis was on home funerals and the grief process. And I interviewed um, several people who had had home funerals for a loved one um, and talked with them about, you know, how that went for them and talked about how it affected them. And even though, you know, for a master's level thesis, there definitely needs to be more, um, you can't be like conclusive with that few uh, people in a sample. I really think it's a, you know, graduate doctorate level, uh, doctorate level thesis topic. Um, But but from my findings, and I think that there's lots of evidence out there in other places that being able to be in the presence of your loved one after death, having time with them to say goodbye really does positively affect people's grief process. Well, and, and, and I think it's way important people know that. It, it, I'm, I'm with you again. We come back to eg, eg, not only education, but destigmatizing uh, this whole notion about uh, our aversion and denial around uh, death and dying. Mm-hmm. Um, education again becomes so critical. I'm Bodhi B. This is Death Tracks. I've been speaking with Leilani Maxera. Max Era, did I get that right? Uh, Health educator, home funeral advocate, 
who lives in Honolulu and the founder and facilitator of Death Cafe in Honolulu, uh, manages the statewide syringe exchange and overdose prevention programs for Hawaii Health and Harm Reduction Center. Such important work you're doing uh, out there. Um, I wonder if there's some way we could partner up somehow and uh, generate more interest in a green burial and home funerals on Oahu. And uh, people have approached me about having a funeral home on Oahu. And um, I don't really need a whole lot to do that. In fact, uh, a family actually shipped their, uh, flew their um, aunt over who had died so that I could do an ocean body burial on Maui because... Mm -hmm. It wasn't it wasn't possible on Oahu, but it wouldn't take a, a lot uh, for it to be possible on Oahu. Um, and of course, yeah. and of course, yeah. So and there's people who are you know I feel like the interest is growing here. Um, the more I connect with folks locally through Death Cafe, through other events, um, through different uh, you know just even the last few years, uh, companies popping up over here. I don't know if you've worked with Courtney from Bahiki Eco Casket who's like builds her own caskets from locally reclaimed wood. I don't, I don't, are, I, I don't only because we make our own caskets here. Mm, um, okay. Yeah. She, I mean, she's fantastic. There's tons of people here who are really um, helping people and doing that education to like rethink how we, how we look at death, how we deal with death, how we take care of people when they die. Um, and it's it's growing. I think it's it's growing nationally. It's growing internationally. But I hear I, I'm really excited to see what's going to happen here in Hawaii. I feel like there's more and more people becoming awake to this. And um, you know, there was a, a law a few years ago that passed for people who are Native Hawaiian um, looking at Native Hawaiian burial practices, which are essentially green burial practices. Mm -hmm. But I, it's been hard for me. I try to contact the Office of Hawaiian Affairs, other folks. They, um, I can't seem to. And, and again, if anyone's listening who can contact me and can has more information, um, how how does one follow that protocol um, legally if they wanted if they're Native Hawaiian and wanted a Native Hawaiian burial? So I'm try, I've been trying to figure that out more since I've moved here. We 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 helped facilitate a Native Hawaiian burial here, uh, and it was actually um, Keikula Bray who who not only had um, was connected to uh, Hawaiian royalty, but also um, connected and related to uh, the the Bray Kahuna family. Um, and that was beautiful to actually be able to be part of facilitating um, her Hawaiian burial. Um, quite powerful and beautiful. Uh, lots, yeah, lots, that, lots of topic, sure lots of topic cloth, uh, lots of and ceremony and prayer and um, the way Hawaiians do things. Yeah, cool. Wow, I'm I'm delighted to speak with you, Leilani. This has been great, and um, be interesting to see if there's some way we collaborate on something. Um, either there or yeah, here. Yeah, well, the, the longer I'm here, the more, you know, access I have to resources and space and know for more folks. I know, actually, I think when I first, um, you interviewed Jerry Grace Lyons, I think, last week. Is I did. That, I did. She case? was here for the, actually, for the home funeral we had. Oh, yeah. So Jerry Grace is actually so about seven years ago. Um, and Jerry Grace, uh, for, for those folks who don't know, runs um, Final Passages 
in California and she's, you know, someone who's done a, a ton of education and training for folks around home funerals um, and death doula work. And I know she um, is one of the people who collaborates with you on your international death doula training. Is that true? She's, she's, she's come. Right? Yeah, she'll be, she'll be back this, she'll be back this April because she's been part of every one of our trainings for the last four years. And she, and she, um, she has trained hundreds and hundreds of people now around the world mm-hmm. in the in, in in the home funeral uh movement and caring for the body movement and and uh, conscious uh, end of life doula movement and uh, she's mm-hmm. doing she's been doing great work for a long time oh yeah well, a really long time and i so i was trained by jerry grace myself about seven years ago and so she is the first um formal training I ever had, like I'd been really interested in home funerals and, and green burial and all these things for a long time. And, and I randomly found her online when I was living in Sacramento and, and she lived in, uh, and I think still lives in Sonoma. And so was a, luckily owned a car. It was a quick drive to, to go to her trainings there and finish her program. And so I'm really grateful that I met her and got, um, you know, I can really credit her for my first training in this work. And when I first moved here, she was coming to Maui, I think, to do a training with you and uh, was like, oh, I'd, I'd love to do one on Oahu. But I, I, just, I could not get the word out. I barely knew anyone yet. I just started Death Cafe Honolulu. It was just starting and um, I feel so bad because at the time I was like, I don't even know anyone who's interested in this. Everyone I asked was like, what are, you know, acted like I was crazy. What are you talking about, home funerals? <laughs> like, no, I am not interested in that, um, you know, because I was so new in, in making new friends here. Uh, and I just feel like now there's so much more interest on this island. And I know, And I know because you are on Maui, there's so much interest on Maui. I know tons of people have been trained on that island as well. You know, you might want to consider the possibility of bringing Jerry Grace over while she's here in April. Uh, I know she stays here if an I extra have week or, or two. If she has time, I might hit her up. It's um, I'm not sure how many people would come, but I, I do know other folks who, uh, it, it's just there's so many more people interested now. Even in the last few years, home funerals, you know, have gotten so much more uh, press, too. I don't know if you saw that article in the New York Times. Oh, yeah. Uh, very oh, yeah, recently. sure. That was fantastic. Yep, it's getting airplay out there. Yeah, so I, 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 I would I would guess Jerry Grace might be totally willing to come over there since she's here, um, and I know she spends yeah. time well, here. I'll just, I'll just have to hit her up and see if that if that works. We, there's been a lot more interest here too, um, and and you know I mentioned uh, Temple Emmanuel, who I'm very lucky you know has given us free space for our event. They have. Um, uh, Tevra Kadisha, and for folks who don't know what that is, it's uh, for Jewish burial, uh, the people who wash the body ceremonially uh, before uh, people are buried. Uh, you know, in, in the Jewish faith, it's best to be buried within 48 hours. 24. Um, but still, there's there's a lot of ceremony before that. And so we have a very active Hever Kadisha here on Oahu, and that has been really fantastic connecting with them and um, helping with more uh, death education with those folks. I think that it's really gotten a lot of people interested locally in that. Same same here. I went, in fact, I went, they brought um, the Jewish uh, congregation of Maui, brought um, some, uh, what was his name, Richard Light, I think. And we had, a, and I went to a whole day around training, uh, Shever, going through the Shever Kadisha uh, protocol and ritual um, 
we're, we're hoping to, uh, uh, in our land project, um, create a beautiful uh, space for that to happen. Uh, yeah, Richard Light's fantastic. He actually what must have been on Maui, same trip he was just here, because it's the second time I've heard him speak at the temple and and he's you know new mexico i believe yeah Yeah, he mm -hmm. um does so much good work um talking with folks and one of the things that really sticks with me both times i've heard him speak is really just how we approach people who have died and approaching their bodies and and you know still thinking of them not as alive but that you're interacting with that person still and the sacred seeing the sacredness in them and still recognizing the sacredness in, in, in the work when you are working with someone who, who's died. And it, it just really spoke to me how we approach, how we approach people when we're working with them. I, I loved his talk. Yeah, I felt the same way that what came through for me was his, his, his heart and his compassion and his approach to exactly what you said, how to meet people in that, in that state at that time. And 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 I see more and more that that's the most essential part of the whole story. The rest are are tools in your tool belt, but to uh, to be and how we how we meet that, and and it's the same. That's where it lines up with your work with the, in the needle program. And again, you come back to how people feel they they can trust you and feel safe in your presence, and and mm-hmm. and and how they're encouraged by feeling respected and seen. And uh, I like how that thread carries through. Yeah, I think I think that that's all connected, and just seeing people and saying, you know, and that thought that the sacredness in me recognizes the sacredness in you, you know, when you're interacting with anyone, really. That's it. That's it. That's it. Well, I've been uh, speaking with Leilani Maxera. Uh, again, I'll, I'll read exactly what I wrote here because um, kind of sums up what who this person Leilani. But sure, if you've been listening to this show. Uh, you certainly uh, could feel uh, the heart and, and uh, soul, really. Leilani Maxera, a death educator and home funeral advocate, I would guess soon to be a home funeral guide, who lives in Honolulu, Hawaii. She's the founder and facilitator of Death Cafe Honolulu and manages the statewide syringe exchange an overdose prevention program for Hawaii Health and Harm Reduction Center. And how would they find out more about either of those things? Uh, So if folks want to learn more about Hawaii Health and Harm Reduction Center or access our services, um, our website is hhhrc.org. And for Death Cafe Honolulu, uh, we have a Facebook page, just Death Cafe Honolulu, or the deathcafe.com page that's like a directory for the Death Cafes all over the world. Um, we're listed on there as well. And for hhhrc.org, you can contact us on Oahu. We have a myriad of services on the neighbor islands, on, on, well, on Kauai, in Kona, Hilo, and on Maui, uh, if you would like to access syringe exchange services or overdose prevention services um, to get trained how to use naloxone in the event of an opiate overdose and get it for free from us, uh, you can contact us as well on the neighbor islands. 
Great, great information. And again, I want to shout out to Joe Thompson, who I think also amazing, amazing, uh, so humble and, and doing such important and valuable work out here, um, connecting people, um, respecting and seeing people in, uh, beyond their stories. Just like you said, the, the sacred in me recognizes the sacred in you, uh, no matter what outfit uh, you appear in at the moment or what story is playing out. Leilani, thank you so much for coming on the radio show. Uh, appreciate it very much. I hope we get to connect more in the future. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for having me. Have a great day. Great. Thanks, Leilani. Aloha. Okay, I'm Bodie B. We've come to the end of the line with another a Death Track show. Thanks so much for being with us. Uh, I'll play us on out of here. Um, be well, be safe, and um, connect. Connect in the heart. Connect in the heart. That's the story. Shot.